Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 56 of Pigskins and Nylon, presented by TabEase.com, the best LT edible on the market. We got a bit of a new look show for you guys this month. Hayden is on baby daddy duty, so for the next month-ish, it's going to be just Casey and I. So, Casey, I guess let's just get going here. You're less than 24 hours away from becoming an uncle to yet another young kid. I can only imagine how excited you are. You don't even have to be doing all the the dad duties. This is great for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, when, whenever uh, Madison pops out, the kid today here in the next couple hours, I'm going to be an uncle for the fourth time, which is absolutely crazy. All my sisters are <laughs> are putting in some work, popping those babies out. But no, really excited for Hayden and Maddie. You know, I know they're going to be absolutely fantastic parents, and I hope everything goes well today. Uh, I think today, I have no idea, but it's supposed to be within the next couple hours, I think. But yeah, really excited. You know Hayden's going to just try to like keep that in there until the basketball game is going on or something. There's going to be some kind of sports-related twist with him. But you're right, yeah, we're definitely wishing the best as everybody at home. We know you are, and Hayden is listening. So, Maddie, Hayden, you guys are the best. Wishing you all the best of luck. But, Casey, I guess now, outside of that, what's going on in your world? Just, uh, I don't know, starting to warm up a little bit here. I don't know if you guys are getting seven-on-sevens going yet. No, football-wise, we're, we're still just lifting. You know, it was 63 degrees here on Monday and then 32 or below 30 yesterday. So teased us there a little bit. But, you know, other than that, I've been enjoying this little week off winter break that I have from school. Not really doing too much, but we're going to go back home this weekend. So it'll be nice to see some family and friends and looking forward to the slate of Big Ten basketball this weekend, man. But yeah, not a whole lot going on with me. What about you? Really, it's the same kind of thing as you. Uh, I got teased with the false spring. So fun story for you is this week when I was 63 on Tuesday, I'm like, God, it's too nice outside for me to do nothing in the evening. So I decided when I got home, this is going to be the year that I'm a decent golfer. So I went out to a baseball field because nobody's playing baseball. Snow all melted. It was a little wet. So I was in the outfield just hitting some practice balls. I kid you not, Casey, on my first swing, first swing of the entire year, I pulled my hamstring. And I was literally laying in the wet outfield as you have about, I don't know, probably six to ten, like 70-year-old people walking around this park, just probably looking at this fat goon in the middle of center field, just moaning because I can't even take one swing before we get our, what, I get hurt now. This is how bad it is. Anyways... Glow-up's coming. Yeah, we're getting to that age, man, where we got to start stretching every single muscle in our body before we do any sort of activity. I I feel you there, man. That sucks. You're right, because it's like now when I play basketball, it's like I spend more time stretching than I actually did playing basketball. I thought I was safe with golf, but I guess not. No, golf is a brutal sport, man. Yeah, and I'm pretty brutal at it, too, so it felt like the perfect time to get it going, but... Yeah, so that's about it on my end. So that's good because we got to watch a lot of Big Ten basketball this week, and there's going to be a lot to talk about because, what well, I guess the season's kind of winding down and we're kind of getting a clearer picture of things. But I guess before we get into that, we're going to go like we always do, have you fill us in on the recruiting corner here because I think that's about as much football as we're going to get into this week. 
Yeah, so there were only a few commits this week, but you know, some that have some significance, I would say. Iowa lands a solid three-star athlete, Alex Moda, Mata, from the state of Iowa. He's got pretty good size, 6'1", 180, I think. Not sure what position that they that the Hawkeyes are wanting him to play. Nebraska lands a three-star interior offensive lineman by the name of Sam Sledge, which is an awesome name, from the state of Nebraska. So with an awesome name like that, I'm sure he's going to be a beast. And finally, Nebraska also lands a three-star quarterback, William Watson III from Massachusetts. So those were the only commits that we had this week. There was an update on the transfer portal rankings, player rankings on 247 Sports this week. I won't read off all of the updates, but there were some significant changes to some Big Ten transfers. Right off the top of my head, I know that interior offensive lineman Remington Award finalist that went from Virginia to Michigan, he got a couple points boosted. Tanner McAllister, who is a transfer to Ohio State from Oklahoma State with Jim Knowles, came over. He got a big bump. I think he was originally a 90 and now is a 94 I believe so. If, you know, if you're interested in, in checking that out, I'd encourage you to do so. It just gives you a kind of a better picture as to who, uh, or I guess what quality of player you're getting at whatever you know whatever school. I actually there's a couple things I wanted to touch on that you brought up there, and I'll start actually with the one you just brought up, the Michigan transfer from UVA, the Remington Award finalist. I don't know how we haven't talked about that yet, because the big thing that we've kind of focused on with the Ohio state Michigan game and the, I guess rivalry right now is the physical element that Ohio state kind of got bullied by Michigan and adding a guy like this, this off season with all the momentum. I don't know how we haven't talked about that. Cause that feels like a really, really big get for Harbaugh. Yeah. I, I guess we only touched on it a little bit. I, I knew it was kind of a big deal when it happened because he was down to Michigan, and I forget what other big-time school. And then once the process started getting a little long, later into it before he committed to Michigan, I started hearing rumors that he was just going to go back to Virginia. And I think it's because of what Harbaugh's been saying all along is that this whole transfer process at the University of Michigan is very difficult and very long. I, I, don't, I guess I don't know what other – term to say it takes it takes a while to get everything completed so I don't know if he was getting frustrated with it or not but yeah I mean he looks to be a really quality player uh he's actually the second rated offensive lineman in the transfer portal now only behind a, a former five-star offensive tackle that's going to BYU so really significant at a spot where Michigan needs improvement uh, I think he's going to play center for Michigan. And if you remember, they had injury for Stardust, who was by far, in my opinion, the worst offensive lineman, but yet he was a two-year starter at Michigan. So, um, you know, they need to replace the center position and they need to replace the, the right and left tackle position to um, really solidify the offensive line again this year. And I think there's a I, – now, I don't think they're going after this guy, but – I think they should. There's a guy, Tyler Steen, in the transfer portal from Vanderbilt. He's an offensive tackle. He's got a 91 ranking. I just think that that would be a perfect guy for Michigan to get. Obviously, going from Vanderbilt to Michigan, those are two high academic schools. So, you know, I think that's a guy that Michigan should look at to get to try to replace 
you know, one of their tackle positions going into next fall. But bringing in a, a veteran like this, like I said, the Remington Award is not exactly easy to get noticed for. So when you do, it really t- is a testament to how nasty you are on the inside. So yeah, if especially at center, to kind of quarterback that line, it would be a really big get for Michigan. But there was one other name, and of course I had to go to the name, Nebraska offensive lineman Sam Sledge. Between him and Cam Jurgens, who you know we fell in love with last year, that offensive line could be just, it just sounds like the Nebraska Cornhuskers of all. Hopefully they can get a little bit of momentum at that quarterback position. But yeah, what you said, three-star offensive lineman, Sam Sledge. So we'll keep an eye on him for sure. Yeah, he's he's probably not going to be a guy that plays right away. He is a little undersized, like what we were talking about with Luke Montgomery last week. Uh, he's only 270, and he's an interior offensive lineman. So he's got 30, 40, 40. 50 pounds to put on before he's able to play in the Big Ten, in my opinion. So, but he's a class of 2023 guy. So he's got another year of high school. And, you know, now that he's committed to Nebraska, I'm sure they'll get him on whatever strength and conditioning program they have for the commits. I don't know if that's even a thing. But with a name like that, you, you this dude's got to see the field. Absolutely has to. Yeah, I don't care if he's getting run over. If you have Sam Sledge as a name at Nebraska, you're playing. And then from the backyard, too, from the state, that's even better. But, hey, do you want me to just jump in here? Since Hayden's not here, read off what happened last week. Since it's just us two, interrupt me at any point when you want to talk about a game, and we'll stop and start talking about it. But, anyway, so since last Thursday when we recorded, Penn State beat up on Minnesota 67-46. to Michigan wins and beat a hot Iowa team that, Really hasn't been missing at all lately. Buying Musa Diabate's twenty-eight and eight. Real quick on those two games. First off, Minnesota sucks. Minnesota is terrible. That's the second time in a week that they scored forty-six points or less in a game. That is absolutely garbage. Well, I'll I'll want to touch on them a little bit when we get to the Wisconsin matchup. But my goodness, they are they are starting to become who we thought they were at the in the preseason. So. And then Michigan's win at Iowa was absolutely huge and very significant, especially with how it played out later in the week. So a big time get there. Michigan shot the lights out, and they and they normally don't. No, you're right, and we are going to jump back to that one too because that was one of the games I wanted to talk about because I feel like it did get lost in the shuffle with what happened on Sunday, and that's not necessarily fair because that was one of the most complete Michigan performances we've seen. But then Friday, I, I got a question for you, Casey. If Maryland and Nebraska play a basketball game in the middle of a deserted Lincoln cornfield and no one's able to watch it, did Maryland really win by 16? Because I don't think so. I think that game just kind of gets washed from the slate, right? Yeah, I, I didn't even know that they played, to be honest with you. Those are two of the lower teams in the Big Ten. You said what, Maryland won by 16? Yeah, and that's the point. I could have told you Nebraska won by six and you would have just been like, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, game just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's one of the most boring matchups I've seen all year because at least if it was like Minnesota-Nebraska, it was like, what's going to give? But this is just bad basketball. But then Saturday, this is where it starts getting a little more fun. Iowa got 20 offensive rebounds and gives Ohio State their first home loss of the season. Another game we'll definitely come back to because that one, I, it's just inexcusable. It felt like just a complete lack of effort all the way around it. No way to cut it. It was a shameful loss. 
Then you had Illinois won a really tight game against Michigan State on the road, and Michigan State's really starting to struggle here. They've lost five of six games, and we'll get to them. They have another game here later in the week. I believe they lost as well. But then the last game on Saturday, Minnesota gets back in the win column, which felt like it was never going to happen. And I had to bring this up because it, of course, happened against Northwestern after I started pumping their tires. I had been such a mush on this show when I give my support to a team. Just everything you have, put on the other. Unbelievable. But Sunday, Sunday, <laughs> this is where you got to the main story of the week. And we will talk about this once we finish the, I guess, the games here this last week. But Purdue beat a white-hot Rutgers team 84-72. But then the, the story came out, obviously, we saw Wisconsin beat Michigan in Madison. But the real story from this game came after the final whistle where Juwan Howard got in a heated exchange with Greg Gard in the handshake line before pushing Wisconsin assistant coach Joel Krabenhoft. Subsequently, Howard was suspended for the final five games of the regular season and fined $40,000. Gard was not suspended but was fined $10,000. And then Michigan's Musa Diabate and Terrence Williams as well as Wisconsin's Jacoby Neath were suspended a game as well. I, You know what? I, I changed my mind after I had read that much. We can't really just jump forward now. So let's talk about this first. We'll come back and start talking about actual basketball after. What were your initial reactions when you were watching it? I know everybody, you know how things are. People want either Jawan Howard fired or people are going to try to say that it was completely a no big deal. It had to be somewhere in the middle, right? I, w- I would say it was somewhere in the middle. Um, I, at, at first, so I turned the game off. I was watching it. Wisconsin got up by double digits. I turned it off. And then all of a sudden, I checked my phone and SportsCenter had an update that said something about a bra at the end. So then I got on Twitter, saw the video and everything. And initially, I thought, man, there's no way Jawan Howard's going to survive this. Um, you know, Michigan, two out of the three years that he's been the head coach has been underperforming, I would say outside of last year. And, you know, he's had heated exchanges before with Mark Turgeon, the former Maryland coach. And I just thought it was a really bad look, especially for a Michigan university that holds themselves to such a high standard, they, they say, but you know, the more that it kind of settled, I, I thought that the five game suspension was fit for what happened, I guess, because in in my eyes, Guard did Greg Guard did initiate the whole thing. Howard took it to the extreme and and should be really ashamed with how he handled it because as someone who's supposed to be a leader of a basketball program, there's no way you can act like that in, in that situation. So both teams were at or both both head coaches were at fault, but Jawan Howard by far Deserve the suspension and the fine more than more than anything else. Yeah, because I, I think I kind of had a similar response as you did. Because when you first saw it, naturally anytime coaches get physical, like red flags go off and you're like, okay, we got to get this guy out of here. But then I kind of started slowly walking it back. And then at first I was like, all right, you know what? You suspend him for the rest of the season. But then the more I started thinking about it, you uh, and I'm not making excuses for Jawan Howard here at all, but he is also a former NBA player. He's a former competitor. He understands, and I think that that's really hard to turn that off. And you see that sometimes with coaches. And 
what Greg Gard did, I thought should have been warranting a suspension too, because it wasn't like a friendly touch. Like when you put your hands on somebody, and I don't want to turn this into a guy or a girl thing, but as a guy, you know, when you are touched, especially in that heat of battle, and you just lost, and you're touched and you're being criticized, because you have to imagine Gard was pissed off that he started full court pressing at the end of that game. I understand that that's not traditional, but at the end of the day, it's like Greg Schiano doing his, I guess, bombard the quarterback kneel down. There's 60 minutes on the clock in football. There's 40 minutes in basketball. You play him the whole time. As soon as Greg Gard touched him, I would have been pissed off too. Like, you don't touch me in that line. I'm coaching my team the way I choose to coach them. And if you're going to lay your hands on me, the wire's crossed. And that's not good. And it shouldn't cross. And he should be suspended for five games at least. But Greg Gard to me was just as responsible in escalating the situation. And that's why I was stunned that he only got $10,000. Because we know, we hear about the Michigan man all the time and how proud they are of the way they hold themselves there. But Wisconsin, it's like they hold themselves to a higher standard too. And I felt like they kind of just like brushed by under the radar here because Juwan Howard threw a quote-unquote punch that to me was more of a, a shove than anything else. But I don't know. That's a lot of rambling just to say I thought that the Michigan side of this, they handled it right. In Wisconsin, I thought that they kind of came up a little bit short. I can see where where you're coming from that angle, Wally. Um, you know, that fight doesn't happen if Greg Gard doesn't grab Juwan Howard like when they're walking through the line. So I, I can see what I, it may be a game or two. I, I don't think it should have been near as what Juwan Howard's was. And to be honest with you, Juwan Howard's lucky, in my opinion, it was only – you know, the rest of the regular season. But, you know, I mean, you know, I, I guess I don't know. Like, it's very disappointing. That that was very disappointing on both sides. But, you know, as a Michigan basketball fan, that that was completely unacceptable. And then to see guys like Diabate and Terrence Williams getting in there and throwing, throwing punches and stuff too, it was just really embarrassing and kind of makes you wish that this season can just get over with already. I do want to ask you a follow-up, though, because I saw something that somebody posed out. I can't remember where it was, but somebody basically suggested that we do away with handshake lines in college basketball, and I didn't know if that would be something that you think would be better because the only thing, like, we agree that Greg Gard, like, if he doesn't touch Juwan Howard there and say what he says, this doesn't happen. Emotions are so high right after the game. I don't know if it would be better or not what you would think there. I, I don't think that we should get rid of that. I, you know, I've listened to a lot of people talk about handshake lines and whatnot since that incident happened. And, you know, I do think that win or lose, being able to respect your opponent is very key, especially in high school and college. Because it, it's like in life, things aren't always going to go your way. And if you act a fool when they don't, you know, you're going to, be I, I don't know be criticized like things aren't going to always go your way I don't know but I think that that's just a little way that you can kind of instill that in your young athletes to you know in Michigan's case here when you get your ass beat on the road you still got to go shake their hands because you need to be able to respect their play in their game so that's just how I feel about it I don't think that they should in this incident like this is a one in 
10,000, uh, probably even worse odds than that incident that happened. So I don't think that they should go away with it. That was really well said, Casey. And I, I do want to say this just to make sure that I'm clear on where I stand on this. Michigan and Juwan Howard, like especially Juwan Howard, he that was completely inexcusable. And it, he was very much in the wrong. You have to be able to be in that moment, realize that you are a leader of young men. You are on a national scene. You are representing your entire school. I I guess my whole thing is that I felt like in this whole thing, Juwan Howard and Michigan has been almost universally blamed. And I felt like Wisconsin had a lot to do with that as well, whether it be Greg Gard or the assistant coaches also coming in and escalating the situation fault all the way around. I would agree with that, Wally. I just think that Juwan Howard needs to start transitioning to that mindset that he is the head coach and he is the leader. He is all eyes are on him, you know, when when they're on television or even when they're not. And I think he struggled to get out of that. You know, he was a player in the NBA for 18 years and then was an assistant coach where he was able to stand up on the bench and yell whatever he wanted to in the NBA. Well, now you're that leader and now you can't do that kind of stuff. So I think it's been a rough transition. Well, not rough, uh, a difficult transition for him, but he's got to learn or he's not going to keep this job for much longer, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's a great point. What One thing I think a lot of people, myself included, sometimes fail to remember is that guys like Juwan Howard, like he was a part of the Fab Five, of course. But he wasn't, I guess, that guy. He was like the third or fourth guy in that. Then even when he goes to the NBA level, he's a part of some championship teams with some really big personalities. And he's almost always been like that guy in the locker room, like a locker room guy, more or less. And now he is the guy of the Michigan basketball program. And I almost wonder if it's like you said, I mean, he's a person too. I know that He's a 40-something-year-old man. We expect more out of him. This is a very new experience for him. He's, I guess, in the limelight for the first real time. So I'm sure that there's just a little bit of growing pains for him as well. Not, no excuses for what happened. But just trying to put myself in, in his shoes a little. I completely agree, Wally. Well, then let's get going to Monday here. Talk a little bit more about what happens on the court. But the Buckeyes blew another double-digit lead in the second half but did manage to come back and win in overtime against IU and the Indiana Hoosiers. Maryland then goes on to beat Penn State by six. Then Tuesday night, Iowa stays hot on the offensive end as they blow out Michigan State, 86-60. to And this was that fifth loss in six games I was talking about for the Spartans. And then end the night, Northwestern finally ended their three-game losing streak against Nebraska. I guess not much to say there. And then Wednesday, Michigan under Phil Martelli. And he was there for you guys as kind of a step in a few years ago, if I'm not incorrect, right? Yeah, I believe so. He's been under um, Juwan Howard since Juwan Howard has been at Michigan. So since 2019. And I, I, can't, I can't remember why he filled in, but I do think he did. I, yeah, because for whatever reason, I had the game on mute last night. And I kept seeing like highlights of him in the past coaching. But anyways, but Michigan under Phil Martelli, they did beat Rutgers in a very, very big game with bubble implications. We'll talk about that here. And then the Badgers, they hang on to beat the Gophers 68-67. to 
All right, so let's look back at this week here. I know that there were a few games we wanted to talk about. I'll let you go first. Take it away with any ideas you got here. Yeah, so on, you know, on the basketball court, Michigan did what it needed to do. They went 2-1 and one and kept their tournament hopes alive. Again, probably need to do that 2-1 and one record in the next three games to not fall out of the out of the uh, unofficial tournament, uh, like Joe Lenardi's projections or whatever. You know, the Buckeyes looked like garbage in the second half against Iowa. That was absolutely pathetic. And against, you know, you said they gave up 20 rebound offensive rebounds, and that's against a team that does not have the size like a lot of other Big Ten teams do. So that's a little bit concerning. But they were able to survive against Indiana. That game was really weird. Ohio State had a 12-point lead in the second half, and then Indiana went on a monster run and had a four-point lead with three minutes left. So the Buckeyes, you know, they did a little switcheroo on Indiana. I don't know what you call that, and came back in crunch time and ended up winning the game. They absolutely dominated in overtime, so that that was really good. And then the final game that I wanted to talk about was the Wisconsin-Minnesota game. So I heard that, you know, that game doesn't really have much significance. It would have if Minnesota had beaten Wisconsin because the win doesn't really do much for the Badgers, but a loss there would have been really, really bad for their seeding in the tournament. And at 22-5 and five now, they're, I mean, shoot, they're creeping up to a three seed in the tournament. So that also, I believe I heard this correctly, gave Wisconsin the all-time series lead for the first time in the series history against Minnesota. If that is indeed accurate, which I forget where I heard that. It might have been on on Twitter or on a video or something. But if that's accurate, that's kind of surprising to me. You know, other than that, those – you know, the the Illinois-Michigan State game was it was a good get. That was at Michigan State, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, that's a that's a good – that's a good road victory for, for Illinois, who's looking better and better. And obviously they have a big game tonight that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But yeah, other than that, I don't really have any any other games that stood out to me. Uh, okay, so I had three teams I wanted to touch on real quick. You mentioned Michigan, so I won't go into much detail here. I'm going to actually ask you a question before I get to my point is, Joe Lenardi had them listed as one of his last four teams in on Tuesday that crazy two day, like two, two, two of 2022 that day. He had them as one of the last four in, and then they beat Rutgers who he has right now as a 10 seed. I don't know. You'd imagine that's probably a quad two win at home with that win. Their remaining schedule is home against Illinois, home against Michigan state, home against Iowa and at Ohio state. Do you think splitting the remaining four games will keep Michigan in the last four in, or I guess on the right side of the field? Wow, that's a that's a great question because these are four, you know, Michigan State is struggling a little bit, but that's still, that'd be a quad one. All these would be quad one wins. You got three out of the four at home. I just think you got to get three out of four if you want to really put a stamp on your ticket to the to the big dance, so... Maybe they still get in going two and two, but I think they'd have to win two Big Ten tournament games. But I would I would feel more comfortable if they win three out of the next four. Yeah, no, I think you should feel more comfortable then too. But Illinois, it's crazy how much of a big game this is. 
Because if Michigan beats Illinois, I almost feel like it's gonna be it's gonna be almost challenging for them to miss the tournament at that point. But if they lose to Illinois, then all of a sudden two of your last three games are against your rival, and it's like the complete flip where if you lose Illinois, you're like, wow, we could lose. Honestly, you can lose three out of four of these games here, and then you force yourself to win two or three games in the Big Ten tournament. I think at this point, I, because of that win against Rutgers last night, I think Michigan will get in. But, I I mean, this is a really weird dynamic, especially when you factor in Jawan Howard not being there for the last four games. And one thing that's really weird to me about this Michigan team is that everyone seems like they're just trying to get them in. They They have not played well this year. Like, straight up, they had a rough stretch at the end of December, beginning of January. You thought they were starting to turn a corner, and then they had another rough stretch. And I was watching the Duke-Virginia game after the Michigan-Rutgers game concluded last night. And Virginia sitting there at 17-10, and 11-6 and 6 in the ACC. And they were one of the last four teams out or something before they, they ended up losing by four points, I think, to Duke last night. But I'm like, man, that just really made me think because Michigan doesn't have that many great wins yes Iowa and Purdue but overall their body of work is is not as great as what it typically is I guess for for a Michigan team at this point in the year so I mean I I like it I guess that a lot of these experts think that this Michigan team will if they start to roll could be a threat in the tournament but I I guess I don't really see why Everyone is so in love with this team. I don't know either. I, there's two things for me because I'm part of the problem. Tate and I both have been all year. And it's it's almost like the Chargers were in the NFL this year where you're so convinced that they're like a Super Bowl contender. And all they have to do is kind of catch, you know, a few games. And if they get their feet under them, oh, look out, the Chargers are going to do it. And we kept making excuses and then all of a sudden, they were playing the Raiders in a wild card playoff game, effectively, in the last week of the year. And it's kind of what Michigan has done. Michigan went into the year as a national title favorite, one of the three or four teams people were betting on. And now, I guess with the conference being so good, too, or just almost, not to mention, between the conference being so good, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I love watching Hunter Dickinson. You keep hearing me talk about it. And I think we all want to see him in the tournament. I feel like we'd all feel robbed if we don't get him for at least a game. I I agree with that. It, he is he has taken this team on his back, and he, I mean for really basically the entire season. I I know he kind of didn't demand the ball as much as he does now that he did in the beginning of the season. Heck, maybe if they if they did play that way, then he would have maybe they would have won some games, but. You know, one thing that stood out to me also, the Rutgers win was big. You're without Musa Diabate, who was starting to really come along outside of the Wisconsin game where he had two points, and Terrence Williams, who's a pretty good role player for him. To win that game at home was big, and it felt like Michigan shot lights out from three, which they have not at all in the past 10 games. They shot 31% from three. So it wasn't like it was... 50 and they they went lights out they shot 31 percent and to me it felt like they were on freaking fire that's how pathetic the three-point shooting has been for Michigan and this has always been a team really you know since Beeline got there that relies on three-point shooting like like most teams do nowadays but 
unless I see some significant improvement on their three-point shooting, they're they're not going to make a deep run in the Big Ten or if they do make the the big dance. I'm not going to talk about Ohio State-Indiana this week. I'll save it. Uh, I guess the only comment I have for Indiana is that they will really look back at that Ohio State loss at the end of the year if they miss the tournament because you'd imagine it's kind of almost like the Michigan-Ruckers game. If you win that game, it's going to give you a whole lot of runway to make a mistake down the stretch, and now they don't have that. But the one team I did want to touch on, too, and you talked about how important that win against Minnesota was, but Wisconsin plays in more close games than anybody in the country, it feels like, right now. I mean, 19 of their 27 games this year, and that includes an all-conference, have been decided by 10 or fewer points, and 15 of their last 19 have also been decided by 10 or fewer points. They feel like a team going into a tournament where, you know, we always use the term battle-tested, and we think that it's good for the Big Ten, and it hasn't. So I'm interested to see going into this, because with Johnny Davis and a pest like Brad Davison, I mean, Wisconsin can be a scary out for pretty much any team in the entire country. I know they're not Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky good, but there's no reason to believe that this Wisconsin team can't be a Final Four team if the cards fall the right way. And this will be my last thing, and I'll I'll let it, or throw it back over to you here, Casey, but... I saw during, oh God, I'm, I'm going to be so frustrated with myself. I want to say it was the Ohio State-Indiana game the other day, but I was watching a halftime show on Big Ten Network, and they were talking about how of the four teams atop the Big Ten standings right now, Illinois, Purdue, Wisconsin, Ohio State, two of the four teams have the defensive metrics that have won national championships in the last 20 years, and that's top 50 defense. Two of those four teams didn't. I was stunned to find out who the two of the four weren't, or at least one of the four, because I knew the Buckeyes, as much as I love the Buckeyes, with their size, they weren't going to be top 50. Who do you think the other team is in that of those three? Wisconsin, Purdue, Illinois. I would have mm, man, I don't know, because I feel like Illinois has given up some points this year. So I, I would, man, but so is Purdue. Hmm. I'm going to go with Purdue and Wisconsin. You know, I would have picked the exact same too, Casey. But Purdue isn't even a top 100 defense this year, according to efficiency. I guess it makes sense if you have two really flat-footed bigs in the middle now. We've seen how much they can change a game. I I don't know. It just was a really weird metric that kind of is going to sit in the back of my head when I'm doing my bracket. Yeah, me too. I guess I just assume with Purdue's size that they would be uh, up there, but... Wow, that's surprising. Yeah, surprising for you and me both, buddy. But hey, I'll read down the list of these next week's schedule here. Any thoughts we have on that, and then we'll wrap out, and then we'll wrap up here, and it'll be a pretty quick show for you guys. But anyway, so for tonight, Thursday, you have Ohio State traveling to Champaign to play Illinois. Maryland is going to Bloomington to face the Hoosiers in a game they really need to win. Northwestern is traveling to Penn State. Iowa's going to Nebraska, nothing great there. Then on Saturday, pretty good slate here. If you're looking, I guess, for the conference regular season title, Purdue's going to East Lansing to face Michigan State. Wisconsin is going to Rutgers, where nobody is winning right now. And then on Sunday, Ohio State is traveling to Maryland. Illinois is going to Michigan in a big, big game for both of them for different reasons. Indiana going to Minnesota. In Nebraska, going to Penn State. Monday, Northwestern travels to Iowa. 
Tuesday, Nebraska goes to Ohio State. Michigan State plays Michigan. Purdue goes to Wisconsin. So Tuesday next week, I think, is the day we're really going to have to be dialed in. Then Wednesday, Rutgers travels to Indiana. And Minnesota goes to Maryland. So, all right, Casey. Thoughts or things you're looking at for the next week ahead? Yeah, let's start off with tonight. Ohio State traveling to Illinois is a massive game. Ohio State still has some work to do, in my opinion, to uh, improve their resume. And a win in Champaign would be massive for them. However, Hayden just sent us a link to uh, uh, Twitter in our group chat that says EJ Liddell is questionable for tonight at Illinois. He has been battling the flu. So that that is that would be a massive loss, obviously. EJ Liddell is Ohio State's best player. And before I move on, I wanted to yeah, so that line was minus or Illinois minus six. It's now Illinois minus seven with that news dropping. So something to keep an eye on. I thought Ohio State would keep it close, but if EJ Liddell does not play, then I'm not sure that they'll be able to. I'm excited to see if, if Rutgers can get back to their winning ways at home when they host Wisconsin in a and really a big time matchup for Rutgers because now with that loss to Michigan, they they still kind of have a little bit of work to do. And I think a win against Wisconsin would would really put them in. Michigan hosts Illinois. We'll see, in my opinion, the best big man matchup of the year when Hunter Dickinson and Kofi Coburn match up for the second time this season. We'll see how that turns out. Illinois got the best of Michigan. When it was in Champaign, let's see if Michigan can do it. While it's at Chrysler, um, another thing that really stood out to me too is that Purdue has a tricky week ahead as they got to travel to Michigan State, again, a team that's kind of struggling right now, and at Wisconsin, two very hard places to play. So we'll see We'll see if they can really earn, in my opinion, their potential number one seed in the, in the tournament. That, that's significant. And then finally, Indiana, they've also been struggling much like Michigan State. But if there's a week that they have a chance to go 3-0, I think it's this week because they are playing three of the outside of Rutgers, but it's Rutgers at Indiana. So that's obviously massive. So if there are three teams to go 3-0 against, you know, I think these could be the three teams. And I think if they do go 3-0 after this um, – they'll probably be solid in the tournament. Yeah, you would think so. Even if you lose to Rutgers at home, I would imagine that it wouldn't be like a death sentence by any stretch. You'd imagine they're still around that last four in spot. Because, again, I wish I looked it up before, but we were talking about with the Michigan game. I don't know if Rutgers at home is a quad two or a low quad one win, but you'd imagine it's really close one way or another. But, there, yeah, I, I want to go back a second and kind of put a bow on what we were talking about so we're now two weeks out, really, from the regular season champion being crowned. And we have three four-loss teams and Ohio State being the lone five-loss team. Illinois has the Buckeyes and the Wolverines this week. Purdue has MSU and Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, of course, has Rutgers and Purdue. With a few weeks left, Casey, if you had to pick one, if one team was going to stand alone, not tie, who do you think you would pick at this very moment? Give me a second here while I load the standings. Um, you do that. Hey, I'll help you out because I'll, I'll shoot mine real quick while you're looking. Yeah, go ahead. I got it, but go ahead. Oh, you got it? No, I know. This is better. I'll save mine. A little, uh, what's it called? The Houdini. I'm pulling the rabbit out of the hat after. You're good. All right. Well, as I have the standings in front of me, 
it looks like Illinois is still one, like played one less game than Wisconsin and Purdue. Purdue's got a tough schedule this week. If if Ohio State wins tonight, then I think they have a pretty good shot. To be honest with you, because I think they have the easiest remaining schedule. Do they? I mean, they play Maryland, Nebraska, and then uh, Michigan State and Michigan both at home, though. So I, to be honest with you, if Ohio State wins tonight, I think I'm going to go with Ohio State because I think they have a chance to go four zero to end the year. It could happen. That's why I included them with the the other three teams with four losses, but a. I don't know what it is. We just talked about, I guess, uh, the defensive efficiency. Like, Wisconsin, they have a really strong team defensively. They're really well coached. And if Johnny Davis can get hot, to me, it turns into the Purdue game. If Wisconsin beats Purdue this week, I think I'm picking them to win. But if they lose to Purdue, uh, then all of a sudden... Man, dude, this is awesome. This is such a great end to the year because it feels so wide open. I, I guess I'm leaning Wisconsin, and then I guess narrowly in second would be Purdue, uh, I guess just depending on who wins that game. Man, I'm looking at Ohio State's schedule right now, and boy, did they get it soft this year. They only had to play Purdue once, Illinois once. They got to play Nebraska twice. They got to play... Maryland twice, who is terrible. They've only had to play Iowa once. Like, oh my goodness, what a cake schedule! It, it has been cake, but the, I'll take cake. It happens. It like you know, it circles. It happens sometimes. Yeah. Well, now I'm kind of disappointed that they're sitting here at seventeen and seven with this schedule. All right. Yeah, that's enough from you. So Malachi Branham, I wanted to bring this up for Hayden since he's not here. He has been advocated for like two or three weeks about how he's playing so well that he believes he might play himself into a one and done. I didn't think he had the runway left to make it happen. Good. Yeah, you should be happy. But now that there are like, I guess, mock drafts out there, Hayden sent me one this morning that Brandon is now an early ish second round projection. Games like tonight now with EJ Liddell potentially being out. It is a huge opportunity for Branham to basically step into that scoring role. And you've seen a, a couple times in the last couple of weeks where he's scoring 22-27. If he has another night like that against Illinois, and who knows, maybe he turns into one of, a more focal point of the offense, he might be gone after this year, and then you, you almost have to really go on a run to make it feel like it was worth it. Yeah, I would... Uh... Definitely agree with that because if Ohio State loses Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell next year, I don't know where in the world they're going to get some scoring from. But, yeah, I I didn't see that article or or whatever about Branham leaving early. But I believe you, and, you know, I I hope he balls out tonight. They lose, and he gets projected to be in the first round. It's the weirdest thing with like college sports because you want them to succeed. It's almost like arbitration for like baseball and hockey where the teams will go out there and say like the most effed up stuff about the player to like bring their value down so they can keep them. It's like it's the same kind of thing where it's like do I want Malachi Branham to have bad days so we have him for a full another year or do I I obviously want him to succeed cuz then we're succeeding and he makes himself some more money, so I don't know. It's a really weird position to be in as a fan. 
But I'm going to ask you one more question. We're going to wrap up, Casey. Who is your player of the year in the Big Ten as of this moment? Wow. I think last time I said Jaden Ivey, I'm not really sure how he's played the past few games. Because, to be honest with you, when, when teams don't play against Michigan or Ohio State or like a Wisconsin during the week, I'm not usually not as focused on the game. But I think I'm going to go with Johnny Davis because Wisconsin is winning right now. And he is, not that Jaden Ivey isn't the best player on his team, but he is like significantly better than everybody else. And that dude hits some tough, tough shots. Now he's developed this little Dirk Nowitzki one-foot fadeaway from the mid-range, which is nearly impossible to guard. So I'm going to stick with Jaden Ivey just because I like him and I think he's that good. But if if I had a 1B, it would be Johnny Davis. They're both very good. I'm not even going to mention them as my pick, but that's just how deep Big Ten is this year. Johnny Davis was actually going to be my 1B and then – Jaden Ivey was going to be my two. But I think the way that Kofi Coburn has played this last month, it's at a very, I don't even want to say unprecedented, because that's not true, but it's at a ridiculous level right now of how he's dominating other bigs in a conference that has so many good bigs in it, like the Big Ten. He's literally just throwing up close to 30 points. It feels like a game, 10-plus rebounds. If you get it to him inside, it's over. Just don't take a foul at that point. Yeah, Johnny Davis and Jaden and Ivy have been amazing, but I don't think that without, I guess you can say that with any of them too. This is how good it is. I, I don't I, I don't know what to argue other than I think that Illinois will win the Big Ten. And for better or worse, I do think team success factors into these awards. And the way Coburn has, I, I feel like, helped them get to the position they are he would probably be my pick at this moment. Does him missing five games, does that hurt his chances at winning player of the year for him? I would probably say minimally just because it was non-conference and what I think that they were, I I think they lost two games in that stretch to, I want to say Arizona on the road and and maybe another non-conference team. So I don't know. It wasn't like they were excelling before then, and they're going to win the Big Ten and probably be a two or a three seed now, so I'd probably say no. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon, brought to you by Tabbies.com, the world's best Delta 8 edible. Next week will be a week out of conference tournament play, so we should have a really good idea on who's in the NCAA tournament, with the exception of maybe one or two bubble teams. But Casey, what do you want to leave the listeners with today? Oh, dude, there's really only one thing on my mind, and that's, um, you know, wishing and hoping that Maddie and Hayden and their little baby, I don't know, have a successful birth and and are all healthy and well and get to go home soon. So, Maddie, Hayden, love you guys, and can't wait to meet your new baby girl. So well said, and I guess my only other thing to add is that because we have so much scary shit going on in the world right now, everybody's all paranoid and nervous it's like almost refreshing to have like a new happiness kind of come in with hayden and maddie's kid so it's gonna be awesome and i just you know be extra nice people sun's gonna come out tomorrow we're gonna still be all right but hayden and maddie like casey said we're wishing you all the best of luck we can't wait to meet the little guy but hey thank you guys so much for listening we'll see you back here next week for episode 57 of pigskins and nylon